it is common in preparing young couples for marriage to go through a project with them called the Personal History Worksheet. Of course, there's the how did you meet and fall in love kind of questions. But the more important questions are about the years that they were most easily programmed. The childhood years. What is your socioeconomic background? Can you define your emotional background? You have one. (laughs) Can you define it? What were your parents like? What did they do right? What did they do wrong? (laughs) What sort of roles did they play? Talk about your siblings. How did you interact with each other, with your parents? What was the spiritual state and expectation in your home or homes? Lots of kids grew up in two. What about the culture or cultures in which you were raised? What friends did you choose? What friends chose you? (laughs) And all this goes on for quite some time. In case you haven't figured it out, This can be a grueling exercise for some people. Others might find it easy, even fun. But everyone does indeed find it very, very useful if they actually complete it. (laughs) You see, they're entering a new time of programming in their lives, the first few years of life together. Okay, so how is it helpful? Why do we ask them to take this time and this effort? Psychologists, pastors, all counselors have long recognized that when things get tough, we revert to our base programming, uh, that which we received when we were growing up. There's personality and personal choices do enter in, so we can't blame everything on our parents. (laughs) But we really do react in life based on our programming and, often for the good, our reprogramming. (laughs) An example, you come home from a grueling day at work. The moment you come in the door, the spouse says, I need some help. Can you please? Whatever. When wives complain that their husband's response is to say, give me a minute, and then they plop down in front of the TV for four hours... It's amazing how many times you find out that's exactly what their dad did. Exactly. When you get angry, do you respond like those around whom you grew up? What's your reaction when you're scared out of your mind? And how does that reflect your family of origin? It goes even beyond that. Who takes out the garbage? Really? Who does the laundry? Who puts gas in the car or plugs it in (laughs) to drive the future lives of these young couples to a better place? We ask them to carefully examine their past lives. I'm sure things over which they had control, but mostly it's the things over which they did not have control. All these things meld together and they program our brains. Will we simply live like we've been programmed? Or will we consciously reprogram ourselves? It would be good for all of us to examine our lives carefully and see if some of our, shall we say, less than perfect responses to loved ones 
are really programmed responses that we need to reprogram. The situation goes beyond, of course, our married and family lives in specific. Well, I'm thinking about church life. Do we bring in programming from the world we are supposed to have left behind when we should be reprogramming after the nature of Jesus Christ? This was precisely the difficulty that was occurring in the church at Philippi. Times were indeed getting tougher and tougher for them. And, unfortunately, they were beginning to revert to that with which they were familiar rather than to remember what they were taught about Christ Jesus. In specific, they were leaning on their experience of life in that very Roman culture, and it was on the cusp of tearing the church apart. Let's start with the introduction in Paul's letter and see what we can discover. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we explored the way that Paul earned the right to write to these people. They knew Paul well. They knew all the hardships that he endured to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. They knew how much he loved them. And they also knew that he was an apostle. So he didn't have to say it here. But it's quite rare that he did not. Especially in light of the fact that he calls himself a douloi, a household slave. That's what it means. Translated servant in the ESV, but it means household slave. No wages, you just got to work. You see, here's the problem that they are fighting. There's this enormous, enormous, way beyond ours, social stratification in the Roman world. And Philippi is very Roman. It's the only one in the entire book of Acts that Luke specifically calls a Roman colony. Even though we know of at least a half a dozen more that Paul preached in that held the rank of Roman colony. Let me quote Lucian. He's a Roman satirist to give you an idea of the animosity between the classes. I should first tell you that he compared the chasm between the poor and the rich to the difference between an ant and a camel in size. Okay, that's how they saw it. Major socioeconomic gap. Here's what he said. We should be less distressed about economic injustice, you may be sure, if we did not see the rich living in such bliss, who although they have such gold and such silver in their safes, though they have all that clothing and own slaves and carriage horses and tenements and farms, each and all in large numbers, not only have never shared them with us, but never deigned to notice ordinary people. Wow. So the question of why Paul didn't give his credentials at the beginning of this letter like he normally did may have little to do with what he needed to say, but rather what he needed not to say. (laughs) He needed not to point out his higher standing. Note also that he says to all the saints. If you look carefully through this letter, you will find that Paul regularly, especially here at the beginning, uses the phrase, you all, or some variation of that. He is inclusive of everyone in that church. Saints, the word means holy or separated ones. Separated from what? He's saints of Christ Jesus. Did you notice that in this one sentence, Paul twice 
uses that title and name. And also says, Lord Jesus Christ, using then two titles. Christ, to get back to the basics, means anointed or chosen one. Greek for Messiah. Uh, of God in this case. Jesus is a popular alteration of the name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. Uh, Lord, the other title, of course, means ruler. Well, why this care to use titles here to give honors where honors are truly due? Note that this is the only letter we have of Paul's that specifically addresses the overseers and deacons. These had become titles in the church. And you may remember Paul instructed them to honor such men. But what's Paul getting at here? Well, do a fill-in-the-blank for me. By nature, we yearn and hunger for... And once we have glimpsed, as it were, some part of its radiance, there is nothing we are not prepared to bear and suffer in order to secure it. It's a quote from Dr. Joe Hellerman, placed in one of his books. It's from a Roman writer. And by the way, the bulk of this data and the section comes from Dr. Hellerman's work. So the quote, By nature we yearn and hunger for riches. Right? <laughs> Love! Nowadays, there's a large group of people who would say, fun! (laughs) By which they usually mean pleasure, particularly in a physical sense, of course. But what did this Roman citizen say? By nature, we yearn and hunger for honor. Honor. And once we have glimpsed, as it were, some part of its radiance, there is nothing we are not prepared to bear and suffer in order to secure it. Back then... They actually put up monuments for themselves. People put up their own monuments for themselves. Well, they're still alive. They're doing this, putting up their own monuments. When they gave money for some civic improvement, it was done only if their name, titles, and honors were all attached, carved in stone. To be given an official title of honor, you had to have enough money in the bank. And not kidding here they actually had a list of the amount of money you had to have in the bank to get some specific honor there was a whole list you had this much you get this you had this much you get this honor not kidding that's they were serious about this people would sell everything they had to get enough money in the bank to be given the next higher title of honor amazing and there were titles in the church Overseers, which is equivalent to elders or pastors, that's all the same word in the New Testament, and deacons, which means helpers, but they, they'd become titles. So titles, honors in the church? Is that really the point of these offices? Well, let's go on. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's get something clear here. These folks in Philippi had done the right thing for a long time. They had partnered with Paul, given money to him so that he could do his work from the first day. Remember Lydia? Remember the jailer's care for Paul? And they were still supporting him when he wrote this letter while under house arrest. We have been partners with two different missionary families, ourselves here in this church, since the day they started. The Millers and the Harmanings, both. We still support them. Hopefully we'll continue to do so for many years. But let's be honest. Our situation is nowhere near the difficulty of these believers. 
Oh, and did you catch the use of you all again? The man's not from Alabama. It's not y'all. <laughs> There's a reason he includes all. And please note the introduction of joy. Joy and gladness abound in this letter. Paul wants to remind them of what they have and as we will shortly see what they will have. We'll be speaking more of joy throughout as we advance through the book. One other thing. I know we say it a lot. But please note the consistency of prayer. Paul didn't pray for them just once. In Family Task, that's a chapter in our membership course, Becoming God's Family. We talk about prayer, public prayer within God's family, prayer within your own family, but mostly we talk about private prayer. As wonderful and important as public and family prayers, it does not hold a candle to private prayer. In fact, if your private prayer life isn't ten times that of your public, uh, you might want to examine yourself and your prayer life and wonder why. Back in the old days, that at the end of every service, some deacon prayed to close the service. That's how they always did it. Whichever deacon, and they'd go around. And this church, they had this one deacon. That, uh, when he prayed, I mean, you, you could forget lunch. I mean, it was long. And so the congregation, every time it came his turn, they were like, oh, no, here we go. But So one day the pastor gets up and he says, Brother Smith, can you please pray for us? And they all go, oh. And he starts. And he goes. And he goes. And he goes some more. And pretty soon it's been 20 minutes before he finally closes his prayer. Finally. Everybody looks up. Ah, glad that's over. Pastor says, oh, Brother Smith, that was so good. Go again, brother. Pray again. And they're like, oh. And he starts praying. And he prays. And he prays. Ten minutes more. Finally, he closes. Wow. I can't believe the pastor. Do it again, Brother Smith. And he prays again about three or four minutes. And pastor says, just once more. Once more. And he prays about 30 seconds, man. He's, and he's in and out. And the pastor says, that's great, Brother Smith. Now, don't ever let us catch you that far behind in your prayer life again, okay? <laughs> so, just want to be careful about prayer life. But <clears throat> Well, we'll talk more about Paul's prayer actually next week. It'll be exciting, I promise it will. <laughs> For now, please recognize that even though Paul does have to give them some correction, this is a thank you note. Uh, they're doing much right. And I think we're doing much right. Doesn't mean we're perfect. We still have an earnest expectation, as Paul will say, for that day when perfection will actually be granted to us. Have you ever thought about that? You're going to be perfect. That's going to be great. Well, the church in Philippi, to whom Paul is writing, had the same expectation. So I think we can understand Paul's next statement as well as they did. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When we want to change our programming, which will change our behavior, to align ourselves with the great examples of faith, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Jesus himself, all are featured in this letter. It's good to remember where we're going. <laughs> you know where you're headed. As a kid, my favorite, we used to drive back and forth between Pocatello and Boise, Idaho, southern Idaho, all the time. And the, uh, there was a great sign. I loved it. It said, Lost? Keep going. You're making great time anyway. <laughs> and I, you know, it's it's silly. It's it brought to you by the stinker stations. I, that was I remember those, but but it was silliness. No one would keep going just because they're going fast. You are going somewhere. So where we're headed, that makes every difference in how we walk. All right. 
I'll give you another little break. I'll tell you a story that illustrates this point. Mark and James Allen, a couple of great guys who used to attend here, they agreed to go with me on a one-week hike into the, into the Olympic Mountains. Never done an all-men's hike. It was great. We had a wonderful time. Well, when we headed up to Anderson Pass from the Enchanted Valley, we knew we were going to come back the same way we went up. I'm just going to go up and back. Carrying a 50-pound pack on your back is great exercise, <laughs> but Anderson Pass is more than 3,000 feet above the Enchanted Valley, uh, and you have to do the whole trip in one day. There's no camping spot in between, not at all. Uh, we knew, you know, we knew where we were going, so we left everything that we didn't have to have at our campsite in the Enchanted Valley. We left the tent because there's a shelter up there. Uh, at the aptly named Camp Siberia, if you ever go there. It's cool. Uh, it's just on the other side of the pass, though. Uh, we left all the extra clothes that we could, all the food we didn't need. Uh, we even cut down to one water bottle from two. I mean, hey, it's a couple of pounds. I mean, we're, we really, this is, we're serious. But we made it to the top in great time, a really good time. So we decided to go see the Anderson Glacier. Somebody once told me our first hiking trip, we went there and, we said, wow, I wonder how far Anderson Glacier is. And the guy says, it's straight up there, only a half, only one half mile. <laughs> well, we didn't need our backpacks, so we left them behind. And it was a good thing, because when that guy said straight up, he meant straight up. <laughs> that, that was a trail. I have not been on a steeper trail. Uh, and the one half mile, yeah, that should have been in quotes too. Yeah, only one half, come on. <laughs> that was a climb. But we were okay because we adjusted. We reprogrammed the way we were walking. We left our packs at the bottom. We didn't bring them up with us. And we walked those beautiful meadows. Oh, they're so beautiful. They're filled with nearly overwhelming fragrance of the riot of wildflowers up in the summer up there. And without the packs, we could make that steep climb and even enjoy it. Well, for Mark and I, that was between gasping for breath. We weren't quite in the shape that James was in, but <clears throat> but we did. We enjoyed it. And you see, we weren't just walking around the block like some normal person would. No, we were going to a place that clearly, by the way, makes one think of heaven. I'm sorry, it just does. I don't know how beautiful heaven is, but I'm telling you right now, <laughs> that place makes you wonder. It just, it's, you get a pretty good hint up there. And because we were heaven-bound, <laughs> we changed almost everything about how we walked. We got rid of things we were used to having. We jettisoned the normal all to gain the extraordinary. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You will gain the extraordinary. You <laughs> will gain the extraordinary. The work that the Holy Spirit started in you, He will complete on the day when we see Jesus. All right. End of that story. Back to Philippians. So climbing up to Anderson Pass, you see some of the most amazing views <laughs> that are available on this planet. Making it straight up to the glacier is like adding icing to the cake. It, it's an adventure well worth gaining. But it's nothing, nothing compared to the adventure we have in Christ. Uh, Paul knew all this about them. Uh, sure, they were stumbling <laughs> as some of them walked, but, but they were going to make it to the top. They were. And, and he talks about them like they were something special. Were they really all that valuable? <laughs> you ever wondered if people should feel good about you. 
You know, I mean, have you ever looked in the mirror and should anyone really see you as an eternal child of God? You know, wow, if they knew me, the real me in the dark depths of my heart, they could never, ever think I was okay. They would never love me or say such wonderful things about me. In fact, they shouldn't say such good things about me. Do you ever feel like that? Paul has some encouraging words for you. Okay, for them. <laughs> but then for us. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's start at the end and work back. The affection of Christ Jesus. You see, it is Jesus himself who is the source of the affection we should have for one another. We don't need to generate affection for each other on our own. He'll generate that in us if we're his. But reversing that thought, if God the Son has affection for us, then it really is okay for others to feel affection for us. It's okay to let others love us. We are worth it. <laughs> if they say good things about us, that's great. It's all about Jesus anyway, so just say, thanks, he's wonderful, isn't he? Accept it. Paul said he holds them in his heart and God is his witness. The Philippians might have been in danger of being sucked into their world's value system, seeking for honor above all things, even in the church. But Paul held them in his heart. Could we truly say that God is our witness as to how we love our Christian brothers and sisters with the affection of Christ Jesus? Even when they live like they belong to the world and not Jesus Christ. <laughs> but why did Paul hold them in his heart? Because they are part of the work of which Paul is also a part. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul is using the word grace here in two ways. Obviously, he is referencing the grace of the Father through Jesus Christ that gives us the assurance of eternal life. In 11 of his 13 letters, including this one as we just read, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ are a very close variation of this. Grace is for Paul the definitive aspect of Christianity. Everything is about grace. But he's also tying grace to the preaching of the good news, the gospel. By their financial contribution, that's how they partnered with him, they were a part of the defense of the gospel as well as its confirmation as others believed. Even in his imprisonment, their love for him shone out. Why did it shine out so strongly? Because he who began a good work in them is bringing it to completion. And they couldn't know that Paul was defending the gospel while he was in prison. Well, maybe they could. I'm thinking that jailer turned Christian probably reminded them about Paul singing and praying that he, after he, the jailer, had put him, Paul, in stocks. It's important to recognize that their giving to Paul is itself a confirmation of the gospel in them. Because they did belong to Jesus, they naturally wanted to partner with Paul, even if he was a prisoner. Doing good deeds doesn't make someone a believer, but when it's done for the right reason, it confirms that someone is a child of the fathers through the Son. See, living, right living, 
is a natural outgrowth of the new life that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's expressed for one reason. Paul said, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. To the glory and praise of God. This is another theme of Paul's in all his writings and well, all the Bible. But in this letter we see it in 118. Christ is proclaimed. 126. Glory in Christ Jesus. 211. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In 3.3. We glory in Christ Jesus. 419. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. To the glory and praise of God. When people do what is right because they want to bring glory and praise to God, it is a confirmation of their faith. That's the right reason we're looking for. But why is it the right reason? Well, because God is God and we kind of aren't. (laughs) Think for a moment about what sort of being can create all that there is. Enough galaxies that every human being living on the planet today can own more than 40. Every human being. 40 galaxies. God created all that. He created the code of life, DNA, that it's so complex that nothing man has created, indeed everything man has created together, can't approach its complexity. They're still discovering new things about it. And yet its compactness defies explanation. Every cell in your body has your entire DNA code. Wow. Everything you see, everything you are, all was created by Him. That being, that God alone, should and must be the one to be praised. It's the right reason to live. (laughs) All right. Where does all this bring us? The fact is that He who began a good work in us will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. (laughs) The evidence of this truth is that we are partakers in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And all for the glory of God. Paul wanted the Philippians to think of him as a servant of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Yes, he was an apostle. Yes, he had every right to that title and should have honor for it. But that was not his concern. That's not what he wanted to example to them. Paul was a prisoner A lot of people get pretty bitter when they get imprisoned. Why did Paul get better? Because he had been reprogrammed. He didn't react the way he would have before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. It was as natural for him to express joy in a negative situation now as it was to strike out earlier in his life like he did. Kind of an odd thing when you think about it. If we have been reprogrammed by God as believers, then we will act differently. And again, if we've been reprogrammed by God, we want to act differently. (laughs) And then there's that truth. We're not yet completed. We're not done yet. So we aren't perfect yet. But we 
must remember that we are all saints in Christ Jesus. We must remember to pray for one another. That it's right for us to have each other in our hearts. To want to act differently than this world's programming. But mostly, mostly we need to remember that the Holy Spirit who began this good work in us will himself bring that work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the assurance we have that we will make it through. No matter how many times we fall at our faces, no matter how many stupid mistakes we make, no matter what we do, you will carry us through. It's not us. It's not about us. It's about you. And so we want to bring glory to you. To you, the Son, you, the Father, you, the Spirit. We want to bring glory to you and to help people understand the grace that you had, that you just give us eternal life. You will give us perfection. You'll take all the sin away from us, all the tears, everything, all of it. It all goes away. And we get new bodies and a new creation, in a new perfect creation with no sin, no pain, no suffering of any kind. An absolutely perfect existence. We can't even imagine it. But one day, it will be ours. We praise you for that and we ask you to help us. Help us to reprogram ourselves. <laughs> help us to live like you would have us live. Live like Jesus Christ would live. Help us to look at these examples and understand how to live for you. Thank you, Father, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least, with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture. <laughs>